well, I was in the church some time ago, and uh, we did this the old-fashioned way. We had to line up outside the little wall outside and have photos taken, so we had a booklet published with photos in, which I found very helpful because I'd meet somebody, and then I might remember their first name, and I'd get home and I'd say to Helen, now, I think I met someone, and they worked on this and I did that, but what was their surname? And I, and I looked up the book, and it was very helpful. Now, we did have a, a, a book, but it was sort of out of date and years old, so I'm really pleased to see the system. So I would encourage you to get your photo in there. You know, you, you can choose it and get the one that looks really nice. And so that when someone meets you and they go back home and say, now, I met that person, but I can't remember their name, they can look at the photo and go, ah, there you are. And it helps, it really does. I want to tell you a story. It's a true story, and it's about me. These are always the best stories, I think. Uh, when I was about 11 years old, I used to come home, I was the first one home, and I would eat a lot. So I put on weight. I was about 45 kilos, and the people keep saying to me at school, why don't you play rugby? You'd be really good in the front row. And I was puzzled by that. <laughs> and I used to sit at the, the left-hand side back of the school, of the class, rather, with my friend John. And I didn't care that I was overweight because I was top of the class with John. Academically, it was a breeze. And I enjoyed the class, and our teacher, Mr Ford, taught half of us to play chess. And then he organised a knockout tournament. So I just mowed down the people in my half of the drawer and met my John, friend John in the final and beat him. So I was pleased, even though I was somewhat large. But there was one part of the school week I really did not enjoy. And that was two o'clock on a Friday afternoon. Now I couldn't find a picture of a male teacher, but this, um, you'll look at this picture, you'll see what's happening. They're picking up teams. And what happened was our teacher would pick two guys to be team leaders. And this happened, seemed to happen every Friday at two o'clock. And I noticed a pattern in the way they chose. First of all, they chose their friends. Be okay? Okay. Then they chose the pretty girls. Then they chose the ones with known ball skills. And then finally, there was a group of us, the deplorables, <laughs> including me, the fat kid. On one occasion, I was just one of the two people left, and the leader of Team A picked the other person which meant I was automatically in Team B. And the captain of Team B rolled his eyes in utter disgust. So I didn't mind the actual game, but it was the process I really didn't like. Now, before you feel sorry for me, <clears throat> when I got to high school about a year or so later, I slimmed down. Also a bit of discipline from my mother as well. And I discovered that school had a chess club, so I played chess. I also discovered I was quite good at it. And we had a chess team in the school, and it was about a prize of six players, and I was ranked about number three, because we had some really bright people in our class, in our school and in our chess club. And we played other teams, other schools, in a match, and six of us would go along and play against six of them. And we hammered them. We never lost a game. We were invincible. But, you know, we weren't really a team because each one of us was playing his own individual match and just happened to be other people playing at the same time. 
It's what the educationalists call parallel play. Now, most Kiwis, I've, I've come to realise, understand the theory of teams, right? Because we were stuck in them in school, and some of us quite like being in teams, so we joined teams all over the show. And the theory of teams really is quite simple. You work together to get the ball or some other object to the other end. It seems to be what they all do, whether it's rugby or soccer or even ice hockey. So I joined a soccer team when I was at school, and I was, we had a coach, explained what he had to do, and I was given the role of right half. I would have rather been a glamorous forward who scored goals, but never mind. And my job, I was told, was to get the ball and to pass it to the right wing, who would then run up the wing, flick it across to a forward who would score a goal. So I got the theory. Unfortunately, it's not the way our team worked. Because we had some gifted people, particularly on the left-hand side, who would get the ball and then proceed to try and beat everybody. And they could. They could beat one opponent, two opponents, sometimes even three, but never four. So all the players on the other side are drifting across over there. Meanwhile, there's me, on my position, doing what I was told, in the right wing, doing what he was told, waiting. Then eventually, the school player would run out of people he could beat, and he got tackled. And there's me on the other side saying, just give me the ball, which they really did. See, our team was pretty dysfunctional. And when we played a match and the opponents scored a goal against us, we would spend the next five minutes blaming each other. You should have tackled him. You were out of position, and so on. So the team was dysfunctional. On one occasion, we were playing at Rangiora. Oh, sorry, the reason that we were not cohesive as a team was because our social connections were weak. We didn't really know each other. We just came together to play the game once a week. So we didn't really... I had one or two friends in the team, but not many. And when we were playing at Rangiora, I remember I'd been running up to join the attack, because you're supposed to do that as a half, and then running back to join the defence, because you're supposed to do that as well. And after doing a lot of this, running up and down and not touching the ball, I was pretty puffed. So I was standing not far away from the opponent goal, onside, and the ball had been booted behind me somewhere, and I was just having a breather. And suddenly I heard this voice behind me saying, Leave it! And I recognised the voice. It was the voice of the ginger-headed kid in our team. And I looked down at my feet, and there was the ball. I looked up, and there was the goal. Was I going to leave it? No way! I hammered that ball into the net, and I scored. It was one of the two goals I scored that season. You see, I, for that moment, I was not being a team player. The guy who kicked it ahead of him wanted me to leave it so he could run forward and he could score. He was playing as an individual. And for that split second, I was an individual too. So I hammered the ball home and scored. Now, as I said before, the reason that our team didn't work too well because we weren't connected. And recently, I think Craig mentioned this a short time ago, that Harvard University made this amazing discovery that social connections are actually good for people. For example, you will live longer which, when you get to my age, is quite a bonus. You will sleep better. And in this picture here, you see the kids asleep, the guys asleep, and even the toy looks like it's having a nap. And, curiously, 
you resist disease more strongly. Somehow, having that strong social connection does something positive for your body. Amazing. Fifty years ago, though, I joined a functional team called Team Jesus. And the criteria for being picked were quite different from my school days. You don't have to be slim. You don't have to be good-looking. You don't have to look like a film star. You don't have to be an athlete or a good athlete or an Olympic athlete. It doesn't matter. Anyone can join. And when Paul was writing to Corinthians, now Corinth was a, a port town, was quite wealthy and quite corrupt in many ways, and not sophisticated at all. And the rest of the Greeks looked down on it. And whenever an Athenian poet was writing a play, he would write and have a drunk in his play, he made him a Corinthian. So the Corinthians were despised, they were looked down on. And yet, when Paul was there, God said to him, stay here for a couple of years, because I have many people here. And when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, My dear friends, remember what you were when God chose you. The people of this world didn't think that many of you were wise. Only a few of you were in places of power, and not many of you came from important families. So why did God choose them, and why did God choose us? Why did God choose me to be part of his family? Well, it's because God looked at each one of us and saw something of intrinsic worth. Each one of us is made in the image of God and is therefore valuable. Despite what we've done or haven't done, we are valuable, and God values each one of us. But not only does he value us, but he has a plan for our life. And that includes being part of his team, where you'll be made welcome. Now, there are heaps and heaps of advantages to being part of Team Jesus. Here are just a few of them. First of all, there are some spiritual benefits. You gain the ability to connect with the one who gave you life, which is their Father in heaven. That's huge. So when you look up at the stars at night in this wonderful Centro Otago sky, you can realise that God made all that, and it's amazing. Also, your failures, mistakes, selfishness, bad thoughts are forgiven through faith in what Jesus has done for us on the cross. That's awesome. We get eternal life. The promise that when we die one day, we're going to be with Jesus in heaven forever. And eternal life is not just repeating the same day after and after. It's the fullness of life in a way that's so great we can't even imagine it. Also, we get to answer this question, what's my purpose? This question was asked 500 years ago by some reformers, and they put it in a kind of archaic way. They said, what is the chief end of man? What's life all about? What am I supposed to do in life? And they came up with the answer, to glorify God and to know him forever. In other words, to build a relationship with God, which is going to last into eternity. We also have a hope, a hope that one day all uh, death, all suffering will cease and that one day Jesus will wipe away every tear. 
That's the hope we have, that one day all the suffering that we go through will be over. We also have the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, who works in us to help us make the right moral decisions, who helps us to be better people. And that is just something which we, I think, sometimes forget, that the Holy Spirit is there waiting for the opportunity to guide us. Now, all of these things are in the future, the hope of the eternal life. And for those of us who have been around for a while, we can think back and remember the times when God answered our prayers. But if you're normal, and you look like you're normal, I don't mean that as an insult, um, but if you're like me anyway, and I hope I'm normal, you think, okay, yes, I've got this promise, all these wonderful things coming up, and I remember all the good things you've done for me in the past, but what about now? Now will be good. But God does do things for us now. It just depends on a couple of things. One, you've got to use your faith. I, found, I saw this on an advertisement on a T-shirt and thought it was awesome. Faith is like Wi-Fi. It's invisible, but it has the power to connect you to what you need, which is why we're here. But when we connect with God, the one way to do it is to think about the Lord's Prayer. It says, Our Father in heaven, help us to honour your name. Come and set up your kingdom so that everyone on earth will obey you as you are obeyed in heaven. So we have to connect with God first. And then we focus on our needs. Give us the food for today. Forgive us for doing wrong as we forgive others. Keep us from being tempted and protect us from evil. And I think because of the, we don't always see what's happening in the spiritual, that God protects us from a lot of evil, and we don't even know about it. So, But beyond that, there are social benefits, some of these which the um, Harvard study has uncovered. And this is one of them that I've discovered. You get to know other team members. And the other team members are incredible. Each one of you has your own story of your life and how you came to faith and how God has answered prayers in your life. And it's amazing. And you're all so talented. And the amazing thing is you are welcome around the world. Now, I haven't been to many overseas congregations, but some years ago, Helen and I went to a... Um, doing a pretend missionary trip to... Um, Thailand. And I don't think I did much, but I went to visit some missionaries, a missionary up in the Golden Triangle in the north of Thailand. And she was working with the Hmong people. And we went to a church on Sunday, the Hmong people. And we stood up the church and I was gobsmacked because I was the tallest person in the church. <laughs> it has never happened to me before or since. And then they sang in Hmong. I thought, oh dear, what do I do? So I didn't know any Hmong, apart from one word, hallelujah. So I sang that whenever it came up. But those people were friendly. I felt accepted, even though I was quite, quite different. The one good thing about being part of Team Jesus is you get help when you're hurt. And sometimes we get hurt very deeply by, through relationships, through finances, through misunderstandings, and through health. But whenever we are hurt and we are part of Team Jesus, we do get help. The team supports you and the team will step in to cover for you.
And that's great, to be part of a caring community. And identity is as a team member. Your identity is not the ethnic group you belong to or the culture you came from. It is, as a Christian, you're part of Team Jesus and you belong. There are also emotional benefits. See, Jesus in Matthew 6.31 said, Don't worry, ask your, don't ask yourselves, will we have anything to eat or we have anything to drink? Will we have any clothes to wear? But more than anything else, put God's work first and do what he wants. Then the other things will be yours as well. Earlier we had a um, prayer of thanksgiving for the offering. And mentioned in that was the idea that God provides of us so much. And it's true, he does. And Peter put it this way, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And when we do that, we can have true peace. And as I've got older, I realise that sometimes I reflect back on my life and, I and all the negative things come up, all the mistakes I made, all the stupid things I did, all the wrong decisions I made, and I thought, whoa, I this is going to get me into a negative hole. So I've put those aside. Yeah, I've, I've been forgiven for my mistakes. And, my, and that way is the only way I can have peace. And I recommend it. Put it behind you. And the last thing I want to say in this section is that you're going to be rewarded, as Jesus said, in this life and in the next. I mean, we make sacrifices. We really do. We have to forgive people who really shouldn't be forgiven, but that's what we think. But we have to do it because Jesus said to do so. And when we do it, we suddenly find we have a peace. We grow. We grow in grace. So, now, when I was in a... Um, soccer team or any other team, you had to turn up at the practice. There were certain expectations. And it's been interesting in my life I've watched. Remember we used to have amateur players of rugby and stuff? And some of them would be very um, enthusiastic on the field, but afterwards they would go out and get in fights and do things, and we accepted it. But as we moved into professional era, suddenly the, the Owners of the franchise would say, hey, you're letting a team down. So they had responsibilities, and we do too. One of our responsibilities is to connect with a group of God's people. You become a Christian, you commit yourself to God, and then you have to commit yourself to a group of people. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5-6, to 6, Paul puts it this way. God was kind and decided that Christ would choose us to be God's own adopted children, God treated us with undeserved grace because of the son he dearly loves so that we should praise God. Now you can read that to say, God was kind and decided that Christ would choose me. And that would be true. He did choose each one of you as an individual. And you can say, God has treated me with undeserved grace. And that would be true too. But when Paul wrote this, he was thinking of a group. He was thinking that God loves us. He was thinking that, I mean, it's very difficult if you're an only child. You miss out on so much. But when you're part of a bigger family, you gain so much. And that's what he's talking about. God wants us to be a group. And he wants to pour out his grace on us. And he wants us to praise God together. Now, if you praise God yourself, and I would recommend that you do, 
It's like a light shining in the darkness. Little candle. But when you put a whole lot of little candles together, you get a whole lot more light. And that's what worship is like. In Hebrews 19.25, the writer of the Hebrews said this, Some people have given up the habit of meeting for worship, but we must not do that. If you're part of the team, you've got to meet with others. And the reason that we should meet with others is not so that the pastor can say, hey, we had 150 people at church on Sunday. No, it's for your good. Peter said, your enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion sneaking around to find someone to attack. If you're on your own, you'll get assailed by doubts, fears, and temptations. That's why you need to be connected. Now, one of the things you have to do is to cooperate with others. In this image here of a um, tug-of-war team, you'll notice that they've all taken the strain, and if any one of them was to decide, oh, I've had enough of this, I'm tired, and was to walk away, the others would fall flat on their face. So they need each other, and we need each other. Sometimes, if you've ever watched the rugby league, it's quite uh, interesting. I'm not really a strong rugby league fan, but... One of the things that interests me is when they get into a fight. You know, a bit of biff over, they call it. And somebody pushes someone, and there's all this pushing and shoving, and everybody piles in, and it doesn't look very serious. I think it's more pretend than anything. And eventually someone sort of tries to pull them apart. And the referee steps in, and we go back to normal. But occasionally, very rarely, you see this, where a team fights its own people, fights its own members. In this image here, you see three guys. They've all got the same uniform on. And two of them, for some reason, have decided to fight each other. And someone's come in and said, look, stop that. We're part of the same team. Why are you fighting each other? And yet, sadly, sometimes you get whole churches that get into fights. And tell you something, when a team fights itself, it normally loses morale and it loses its enthusiasm and it goes downhill. So that's why Paul said... Make an effort to preserve the unity in your, in your um, churches. Now we come to this bit, which I've called Don't Let the Team Down. If you look at these basketball players, most of them are looking at the game apart from one. He's looking down at his feet. Why? He's the one that committed the foul that was sent off. He was the one who gifted some points to the other team. He's the one, and he knows he's let the team down. Paul talked about this. If something is important in Scripture, it gets repeated. And he repeated this three times to three different churches. He said, Walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. That's what he said to the Thessalonians. To the Colossians, he said, We have not ceased praying for you so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. To the Ephesians, he said, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called. Some translations put that as, you know, make sure your behaviour honours God. Occasionally we, we hear of some church leader who has committed adultery or theft or something, and the newspapers report it with glee. They love to point the finger out and say, look, here's a hypocrite. You claim to have this high moral stand and you've done this which is so, so important that we are on our guard, that we don't do things that are stupid like that. 
because it doesn't affect just you, it affects all of us. So for the team's sake, please don't do anything stupid. And if you find yourself tempted that way, if you're connected in with a group of people and you've got people you can trust, you share with them, I am struggling with this, and they will help you. Now, I realise we've got some visitors this morning, but some of these principles about how you can connect will apply to your church as well. Because you have to connect to people in your area. For us, you can join a service team. It's quite easy. You just make tea and wash dishes. And one of the things I've discovered in life is washing dishes at home is not fun. Washing somebody else's dishes for some reason is quite fun. <laughs> now, the other thing we can do is to join one of the new home groups in the pipeline. Apparently, I've had it on good authority that we are planning some new house groups. So keep looking in the pipe. And when one pops up, um, you'll be able to join. And I've been in small groups uh, for many ch different churches. And I'll tell you one thing. I get to know people and I get to trust them. And because of, I'm, I'm not one who really wants to share stuff, really. I mean, guys are supposed to be staunch. But when you're going through a tough time and you're willing to open up to people, it's normally a few people that you trust a lot. And in home groups, you can build those relationships. And you can say, hey, I'm going through this tough time, please pray for me, and they do. And also, you get a chance to pray for them. One of the things you can do in this church is help out at Central Way. Now, I burgled these uh, photos from the church website, and you'll see these people working hard. And if you look carefully, you'll see they actually look like they're enjoying it. They're having fun. I mean, who likes making meals, really? But if you're part of a team, suddenly it becomes fun. And the same with chopping firewood. You can help out with the children's church or youth group. So interesting, if you look at the picture of the children on the left, apart from the little blonde guy, they're all focusing on their own work. It's what we call parallel play. On the other side, the youth group is working together to achieve a common goal. Now, I've thought hard about this, what is the common goal that they're trying to achieve, and decided it's to make a mess and have fun doing it. One thing you can do is look out for people you don't know and talk to them. And as Conrad mentioned earlier, we have this um, breakfast coming up. Some years ago, we were passing through Timaru, and it was near Christmas, and we stopped. We met a lady called Diane on the street corner, and she said, would you like some Christmas cake? Okay, I'm in for free Christmas cake. So we had some, and she said she was from Clinity Baptist Church. A number of years later, we actually moved into the Timu area and we said, well, where should we go to church? And I said, well, a church that gives out free Christmas cake can't be all bad. <laughs> so we went and we found we fitted in quite well. So with this event coming up with a breakfast in two weeks' time, it's a chance for you to help fringe people connect to the church. So if you go to someone you know and say, hey, would you like a breakfast for $10? They might say... Yeah, maybe. But what if you were to sponsor one of them? Say, look, how about a free cooked breakfast, you know? Can you imagine the smell of bacon and coffee first thing in the morning? They might come. And when they come, they will discover that we're just normal people. And maybe sometime in the future, when they think, oh, I need, I need to make a connection with a church, what are they going to think of? 
the church that gave them a free breakfast. I'm going to leave that thought with you. You know, other teams that we hear of in the world, teams that promote their philosophies, they promise much, 